Inverse Genius Episode 4, Sight is Overrated. This episode, Donald Dennis and Giles Pichard take a look at Netflix's awesome series of Daredevil. Inverse Genius is sponsored by our great Patreons at patreon.com slash obg. Head on over there, see our pledge levels, and everything that you do keeps these wheels a-rolling, and we appreciate it. Thanks. So it's time for another Binge It Now segment. Uh, I'm Donald Dennis, and I'm here with... Giles Prichard. Today we're going to be talking about the Daredevil Season 1 on Netflix, part of the MCU. Uh, We're doing these sort of out of order. So last time when we did the Jessica Jones thing, we talked all about what the Marvel Cinematic Universe is. And today we are going to talk about uh, just Daredevil so that we can hopefully keep these within Eric's required time limit. (laughs) Sorry, Eric. No, I'm not sorry. (laughs) All right. uh, So let's talk for a minute. What uh, what did you think about Daredevil? Let's, let's give the rough overview first on how we felt about it. Um, yeah, I really like the series. I think um, we talked about Jessica Jones' last series as being a very characterful um, series where building up characters and, uh, and layering the plot was was vital to the story. I think Daredevil season one, it's not doesn't it doesn't play out the same. I think that Daredevil's much more of an action orientated series. Um, you've got, you know, Daredevil, obviously, um, a, a, and a series of battles that he goes through. A larger plot unfolds until he gets to, you know, do the the, the big boss battle at the end. Um, but all the same, I think it's a really good series. Again, I think um, Netflix and Marvel have done a great job with the tone of the series. Um, it's, it's Again, it's very dark and, and moody and, and all of those things. I, I really enjoyed it. Right. I think that because the rest of the series or the rest of the MCU doesn't have this tone, that's what made this work. If they were all, you know, gloom dark, mm, edgy, uh, gloom, the, criminal. Yeah, if they were all basically like the the Nolan's Batman or the latest uh, Batrocity of Batman versus Superman, <laughs> Dawn of Justice, that, that these would have fallen flat. But because they tell their own story and they tell it in their own way, that I really liked it. Yeah, yeah, me too. And I think that one of the big deals with how they tell the story is, of course, they have 13 episodes. So it's not like a movie where you only get one bit and it's not a 24 episode series. So you get, you know, some good pacing. You get some lulls where you can sort of digest what you've already learned or what you've already seen or, oh my gosh, can you believe what happened to that person's head? This, that, or the other thing. <laughs> that, I think uh, I know the moment you're referring to when you say that, but you go on. Well, there's two two head moments, one of which I really liked and the other one which I thought was dumb, dumb, dumb. Um, and so, but by and large, I really liked it. And I thought that some of the flaws were kind of interesting shortcuts or interesting ways that they're trying to artificially pump up the adrenaline factor of the show. For example, Daredevil almost never has... And I guess this is really more of a season two thing. But in season two, there are no easy fights for Daredevil. Yeah. All right. doesn't matter who he's going up against. There are no easy fights. And there are a couple of times in this where it felt like, oh, he took care of these guys with guns so easily. Blah, blah, blah. How come this one dude is giving him a a severe amount of trouble when we have no reason to expect that that he's a real superhero, supervillain of any 
of any stripe. That why is why is this fight taking so much out of him? I think yeah, that's the thing about Daredevil, though. I think too the, the way they built it in this series, every fight he goes into, he's going to take in a pounding. Yeah. That's his thing. Well, I mean, yeah, it's he is kind of like the uh, uh, the diehard superhero of uh, John McClane of the Marvel universe, I guess. Yeah. But I guess they are both Catholic, so there you go. <laughs> um, so. Uh, there are going to be spoilers in this discussion. Uh, if you don't like that, then you don't want to listen to this episode. And, and looking over the list of characters we have to cover, this is going to be another episode in and of itself. I don't think that uh, I don't think that Eric's going to get us out of here in just ten minutes because we're already five minutes in. It's what happens when you get two people who like to talk on the same uh, end of uh, end of different microphones. Yes. All right. So let's uh, let's do the uh, quick summary of of the big overview of what happens. What is the point of Daredevil season one? Uh, you got the main character, uh, Matt Murdock, um, child. He was he, he, his father was a boxer, a sort of a failed boxer. Um, he was blinded as a child. You know, there's all this heartache and, and so forth in, in, related to that. Um, obviously, his superpowers developed out of his blindness. He still, you know, he can hear with sound as, as better than most people would see. Um, so, he, you know, becomes a, a martial artist, etc. He sort of finds himself in a position where he becomes a hero through the series uh, and what that means to him. At the same time, you've got the villain, Wilson Fisk, who's wanting to take over Hell's Kitchen and turn it into a sort of a, a paradise, um, you know, wipe away the scum and um, and replace it, build it up the way, the way he sort of envisages it. Um, so you've got that. You've got you've got the, the 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 overarching villain Wilson Fisk. That's his his thing. You've got all this criminality, all of this darkness and murkiness and so forth. That's that is Hell's Kitchen and the characters um, living and breathing in that and and being um, heroes within that setting. Is that right, is that, right. a, is that enough it, of an overview? <laughs> that's that's pretty good. I think the 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 first thing is that this show unlike Jessica Jones is thoroughly nestled in that one region of New York it's it's Hell's Kitchen yeah, and yeah. it all sort of happens within Hell's Kitchen and it and it has its flavor and it sort of builds up and it, it feels a lot like the seedier parts of Gotham yeah <laughs> if you're if you're pointing at other series and it is over the the episodes the full run of the series it is sort of a the origin story of Kingpin and at the beginning, he thinks that he is an angel willing to do the devil's work or that, that he is the savior of this part of the city. And so he is on the very top level trying to save Hell's Kitchen. And he's willing to make deals with some very bad people. And he is willing to do bad, bad things to, to get to his end goal. I think, And it's not until about two-thirds of the way through that Madame Gao says, no, no, you're either good or you're bad. Choose your side and do your thing. And then he eventually embraces the, well, okay, if I'm being cast in the villain's role, by gosh, the villain I shall be. <laughs> and it's not until the last episode of the season that Daredevil gets his really ugly Daredevil costume. Oh, yeah. I actually really like his... I mean, it does remind me a lot of Wellesley, uh, Wesley from um, The Princess Bride, 
but I really, really like his costume in Series 1. The the costume he gets at the end, I wasn't such a big fan of. Series 2, I've learned to live with it. Well, and it changes a bit in Series 2. Yeah. You know, I think it, it is better. They heard people complaining about, you know, just how bad it was. So, <laughs> um, and I apologize to our listeners. My volume is just all over the place. Recording volume. Hmm. I don't know how to stop that from happening. So it's a thing. Uh yeah, and so it's it's sort of the origin of those, and there's a little set set dressing so that you know you get some characters who you are sort of for season two, and obviously for season three because season two didn't deal with almost anything having to do with Madame Gao, right? Oh, right. Yeah, there was a, there has been through series one and two a whole lot of build up for for the future. They're laying a, right. a really solid foundation for a long-lasting set of series. But on the other hand, it doesn't feel like they're skimping out. So many things, when they are dropping stuff in for future things, it doesn't feel organic. Uh, and in this case, it definitely feels like these are part of this plot, but it is also setting up things for later. Yeah. Which I think Series 1 is a lot tighter in that regard. Series 2 feels like there's, there's two or three separate focuses that... Um, yeah. yeah, we'll get to that S- when we series talk about two should series have been two. series two and three. Yeah, sure. Um, but so that's that. Let's do. You, do we want to talk characters? We've been mentioning them without explaining. Them. Yeah, let's let's go through the characters. Yep. All right. Strangely enough, the main character is the one who deserves the least explanation, and uh, that is Matt Murdock, who you know because his father basically. Was a fighter. He can apparently take a serious beating. Oh, he, can he, ta- he can take a pounding. Yep. And he got a mutant power from a chemical accident, which is also the same chemical accident which created the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Because that's the origin story, is that the slime that hit uh, Daredevil's face, that when Eastman and Lard made the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that was that same accident that created them. Oh, wow. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but that impresses me no end. And yes, and so he gets up at, at night. I mean, by day he's a blind lawyer. By night he's a vigilante. He goes around beating up bad guys. And as things ramp up in the area, more and more action is required. And he's not just stopping purse snatchers and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think he's a re- you know he's a really interesting character, and I think that is brought to the fore towards the latter half of the first series. Certainly, the second series. Um, his character is really, really explored and, and developed. I think a lot more. Um, but yeah, he's he, and he's he's the the universal good guy. You know, he won't kill anybody. I mean, I'm not saying that that he's bad. I'm just saying that he's kind of stereotypical. He, yeah, no, no, I I can I absolutely agree with you. Oh, except the fact he is actually blind. So yeah, don't I, ask him to tell you what color a light is. <laughs> you could probably hear it. The um, but there, there's also <laughs> that that that. Um, conflict between Matt Murdock and Daredevil, isn't there? Oh, there is. It's like, am I doing this because I enjoy it? Am I doing it because, you know, I have this rage or is it just to help people out? But his best scenes are always when he's not Daredevil. Really. Yeah, and, and he's got that, you know, by day he's, he's, a, he's a lawyer and, and by night he's Daredevil. At, at the beginning he certainly thinks he can t- keep the two separated and, and as the series and, and especially the second series go on, they become more and more intertwined and impossible to disentangle. Um, so his his cohort, Foggy Nelson, is probably either your one of your favorite or least favorite characters in the show. For some reason he's created some outrage and people don't like him. For me, he's sort of that 
proof that just because you're in a grim dark superhero universe that 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 not all all joy has to be bled out of it because he still gets joy from life yeah i i like you know i, I my context is I, I don't know the comic books so i think a lot of the outrage that that i've heard anyway has come from people who really you know are invested in the comic book universe and perhaps know that character from from that context um i don't I really like this character. I think um, that that they play around with it. I think that that he is, you know, Matt Murdock's bedrock. Um, I think he's a really strong character in his own right. And that that particularly first series certainly is his more of the sort of sidekick. In the second series, he really becomes his own. You know, he stands on his own two feet. So, but but he has a moment in the first series where you think, okay, how is this guy a lawyer? Why does fire, why does Matt Murdock like him? Mm. He seems like a complete oaf. You don't get <laughs> anything, and then he has a confrontation with his ex girlfriend at the big law office, where he basically just says, "Okay, I have to bring the bring the smackdown," and he gets all snarky and he does the you know, "You were a great lawyer before you sold your soul, and here's what we're going to do to you because you think you can push us around." And so he really sort of has the stand up for the little guy. When they're actively being pushed around in front of him, yeah, he's the Sam sort, Gamgee so, of the Daredevil universe. Oh, he really is. He absolutely, is. <laughs> but but he's not real deep. I mean, he's he's who he seems to be. Um, he's gonna fall for the girl that Matt gets most of the time, at least if she's a leggy blonde. Um, <laughs> and and speaking of leggy blondes, their assistant is Karen Page, who. Yeah, what do you think of Karen Page? The first portion of the first season, I I didn't really like her character very much. Um, she just seemed a bit too needy and a bit too um, I, I don't know how to describe it really. I just I didn't really click with her character. Toward the end of the first series, I, I liked her more, especially when she got more and more involved with um, Ben Urich. Um, who mm-hmm. we'll talk about a little in a little bit. Well, we can do that. Ben Eric is a reporter, and he's helping her investigate. He eventually helps her investigate all the misdeeds that are happening because of Wilson Fisk's. Yep. Uh, because of Wilson Fisk's criminal enterprise. And he's he's that diehard reporter. What you know, the dogged, um, won't let a story die. You know, will uncover the truth. Sort of whistleblower. Sort of. Um, character, which which is very very great great character, quite stereotypical, but a great character and suits his purpose within the story perfectly. And it's a shame she gets him killed. Yeah, you know, but then you know, again, toward the end of the first series, she starts to she starts to find her strength, and I I, I appreciated her a lot more by the end of the first series. Second series, you know, she's a whole other thing. Right, and, and I do sort of like her, but it felt like the whole first half of the first series that she was playing the damsel in distress, that that was her job. Yeah, you sort and of so watch her crying a lot. From, is, is that she was stereotypical this, that, or the other thing. Yeah. Um, and then at some point, they put her in front of Wilson Fisk's assistant, and he's trying to convince her to back down or to join them or something because it's, it's a, a closed deal room. And, and he puts a gun down in front of him and says, fine, just shoot me. And she's, you know, like, oh, you wouldn't put a loaded gun down in front of me. She picks up the gun to point it at. He's like, I wouldn't put a loaded gun down in front of you. That's not going to happen. And so she pulls the trigger, kills him. Yeah. 
and takes out one of the best characters of the show in a way that you really never would have expected. Yeah, that's right. It, and it, it is a it's a moment for her character as well where she and there's a lot to her backstory that is uh, that is unexplained. There's a lot of things going on with her character that will probably come out over season two, uh, season three, season four. Um, you know, with her past, but I think that 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 was a real turning point for her character as well. I think that's when she got her own character. Yeah. Instead of being instead of just being a stereotype, that's when all of a sudden she got her own story to tell. Yeah. So we talked about Wilson Fisk's assistant. What about Wilson Fisk? All right. So uh, Wilson Fisk, well, we did. We talked about him a little bit at the beginning where he thinks he's on the side of the angels, but he's willing to do all the dirty work. Yeah, he's the Uh, fallen angel, uh, embracing (laughs) that role. And I sort of hated his character when I first met him in that I never pictured him to be the soft-spoken guy in the comic books. I always figured he had this deep, rumbling voice because... He was a man mountain sort of guy. Mm. But I think that on my second watching of the series, I could understand why everybody else found him to be so enthralling of an actor and that D'Onofrio's portrayal of him was, uh, was, was good for what it was because it was the beginning, you know, it was the beginning of the character and not a, uh, uh, how do I say? It, it wasn't the fully developed character. Yeah. When he changes, and as he, you're going to see him change, then that menace is still going to be there later. I, I really, again, I I come at it with no prior experience from comic books, so his character was was you know fresh off the page for me when I saw the series. I really really liked him. I like yeah. It's not anything that we haven't seen before. You know, we've all seen the soft-spoken villain, that that dichotomy of someone who's gentle and soft-spoken but capable of of gratuitous violence, Um, you know, but I really like that. You know, his opening sequence of, you know, the classical music starts up, he's frying his nice, beautiful omelette in his apartment overlooking the city and doing it all so gently and slowly and with purpose and, and not a movement is wasted and it's all very delicate and he's an art lover and he's taking time choosing his cufflinks and, you know, that that side of his character, but then he's also, you know, beats a guy to death with a, with a car door, you know, sort of um, that, that other, that visceral, gratuitous, violent aspect to his character as well. That's explored in his backstory a little bit with the violence that he experienced at home uh, as a child. Um, I really liked his character, and I thought, yeah, like, what was the name of the actor? He did a really good job. Yeah, D'Onofrio. He he was he was very good. Yeah, the only, uh, the only I have to say, someone said to me, I was actually talking about this with someone a, a week or two ago, and they were they were saying that he, that he sounds like he's had too much fiber and is struggling on the toilet. You know, I uh, am Wilson yeah. Fisk. <laughs> I can see that. And so one of the things they did with both him and Daredevil is with superheroes and supervillains, you do sort of need to have a uh, have their origin story, but they did a great job at sort of sprinkling it in over the course of the series. So instead of having episode one, uh, you know, origin story, mm. you then you had a little bit here and a little bit there. And I think that worked very well. So that it never felt tiresome. Sorry, it's one thing I really like about Daredevil and, and Jessica Jones, in fact, the way um, Netflix have handled each episode is 
you know, is a standalone. It, it's episodic. You can watch it. There's um, there's a plot to each episode that builds up. There's a climax. It follows the plot progression, but there's that overarching plot through the series. Um, and as you said, they build the characters really, really well, especially I think they spend a lot of time building up Wilson Fisk through the first series and into the second series um, and, and do a brilliant job of that. And the funny thing is, is you, you watch Wilson Fisk's origin story unfold. And the only thing you can think is at the end of it, it's like, yes, that is how you get a character like that. <laughs> That's right. It's like, oh, okay. I see how Wilson Fisk became the character he became based on the vignettes of the past. It's there's, there's not a, there's no surprises once you see it, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, it just, it does. It gels nicely. You know, and again, it, it's not, it's not revolutionary. It's not anything we haven't seen before. It's just well executed. Yeah. Um, and so he, he's made some deals with some bad people. He does bad things in theory, in the service of his greater, better goal, which is, I guess, that Wilson Fisk is a lesson in the ends do not justify the means. And uh, speaking of ends and means uh, and his love of art, you know, I don't know if we really need to go through all of these in depth, uh, but I do find that Vanessa, his his love interest, uh, you never really know where she's getting at or how she's coming or or how it sort of is going to follow through. But, you know, her her dedication to him once she he she is sort of once Wilson sort of accepts her on her terms Mm. and, you know, she's not going to be lied to. She's not going to be coddled. She's going to be sort of I don't know if partner is the right word. Yeah, I think it is. She's equal, if not partner. You you describe Wilson Fisk at the start as an angel who who did horrible things to justify you know his end goal. He questions that at different points, and and you know she's his rock. She helps him become the character he becomes. Um, she's the one that that helps him stand firm, and when I say that, and not in a good way helps him stand firm and embrace that fallen angel. Yeah, I can see that. And but I think most of it is just her insistence on on being treated not not treated down, not treated as a fragile object, which is still how he treats her. Oh, for sure. You know, it's like she must be protected, but she's like you're not going to shield me from the knowledge of what's going on. I'm I'm going to know. No, but but you know, he he relies on her at different times for for strength, and she provides it. And and it's through that provision that that he becomes the person he becomes toward the end of the series. Yep. And speaking of characters who help people become who they are later in the series, uh, you you've got Claire Temple. <laughs> she's named. She's a really interesting character, and she's she's the she's the not just the only, but she's she's. Well, I think she's the only character that ties Jessica Jones and Daredevil together to both first series. Um, Hogarth is, well, Hogarth's name at least does. But yeah, you're right. She's the she's the physical presence that crosses the boundaries. Yeah. And when you first see, you, you watch Daredevil series one, and then you see Jessica Jones and you see Claire Temple, and you're like, ah, they're this. You know, it, yes. it, it all comes home. And you know why you know why Matt Murdock is not in Jessica Jones? No. 
is because so much of the show, Jessica Jones, de- depends on perception. And because he would be able to meet the girl hmm. who's guilty and tell right away that she's not guilty. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yes, I, I did this thing, but no, I didn't want to do this thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. I believe you. Off we go. Uh, and, and it changes the whole nature of that story. Yeah, yeah. Well, he is that, he is that you know, the white knight who wears a hair shirt, isn't he? Yes. Explain that reference for those who might not get it. Uh, well, you know, the white knight, pure, um, he's, he's religious, he is guided by his religious principles, he believes himself to be a good person, motivated by the idea of good, but he also punishes himself, you know. Um, you, you know, the, the hair shirt as people used to wear them that were full of fleas and uncomfortable and itchy and horrible and uh, and they used to wear it to punish themselves to remind themselves of um, of their sins and so forth so he's very much that sort of character I think to some extent absolutely hmm. and so I think uh, and helping him maintain that Claire his temple hmm. is sort of a place that he takes refuge for a while when things go horribly wrong and she helps patch him back together and she helps him realise, you know, helps him become Daredevil in the same way that Vanessa helps Wilson Fisk become Kingpin. And in fact, yes, he does that and sort of helps him reaffirm his I'm not killing people because she sees the horror that he could be. And you, and he can tell that that's, that's sort of what she's wondering and what she's thinking. Like, is this the bad guy? Is this not the bad guy? Well, she's always, she's always questioning bad? him. So she's a, she's his moral center when he can't rely on Foggy. So she's Daredevil's moral center the same way that Foggy is Matt Murdock's. You know. Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a that's a good yeah that's a good positioning of them. All right, I guess the, the last people that we have to talk about before we go too much into the whole plot, which we've sort of touched on, is uh, Nobu, uh, Madame Gao, and Owsley, Leland Owsley. Mm. We can sort of cover them in a group. Uh, these are the people that are oh, and the Russians. We we didn't even mention any of the Russians. You get the Russians and the Irish. The whole there's a whole um, oh, collection of two. yeah collection of gangs that are that are important. And Madame Gao really is is one of the predominant characters within that circle of villains, of which Wilson Fisk is one. Um, and, and her character's not really explored too much in season one. It's not even really explored that much in season two. She's there, and she's this sort of overarching um, presence in, in both. So, Right, and you get the feeling that she may be doing bad things, and there may be a really deep, dark villainy, but she's... I'm not going to say she's the Hans Gruber of the villainy circuit. <laughs> she she sort of has this air of wisdom around her and she has this air of competence. Well she it's almost like she could be she could be your grandmother. Couldn't you know, she's got that she's a soft-spoken, very calm and collected, you know. Right. But she is however has a bunch of drug drug manufacturing uh, slaves yeah. who have been blinded at least we assume they're slaves. I mean, they could be zealots for a cause. We don't know. The drugs they're pushing could be helping opening up worlds, you know, other, opening up our world to other worlds. I think or who they're, knows they're heroin, doing. I think, is at one point. Well, it is heroin. I mean, ostensibly it's heroin, but it could be magical, magical foreign heroin for all we know. Well, this is true. Because she is apparently a magical, one of the magical characters. I'm going to bet that she has 
um, all kinds of magical powers we haven't learned about. So this, and, I, and I don't come at it from that context. So for me, she's this she, in the first season, particularly. She's she's uh, uh, one of the ephemera. She she is a character who is obviously very important, but unexplored largely. Right, except for she does say, Owsley's like, oh, she's like, I'm going back to my home. And he's like, you're going back to China? And she's like, much farther away than that. There's nothing that is much farther away from China. Yeah, that's uh, why I didn't even pick up on that. So, yeah. So it sort of of gave the impression that maybe she was going to a mystical place instead of a physical place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And Nobu's one of the assassins, part of the... uh, are they part of the hand? Yep. And his character really in the first season is is just a big bad, isn't he? He's just one of the one of the one of the villains that Daredevil has to fight. He's one of the, the top villains he has to fight. It's a you know protracted and terrible battle for Daredevil and, and so forth. But um, you sort of not much of his character is explored in the first season and, and much more of his character is explored in the second. Which is a spoiler. A serious, serious spoiler. <laughs> right, so apparently we're spoiling seasoning two, season two. Um, well, we're going to do because, that in another episode anyway. Yeah, but you, think, but you think he's dead at the end of season yeah, one. Yeah, cut that. You really do. But uh, yeah, so all that's, all that's true. Wesley, uh, oh, Leland is the money and he sort of, the, he sort of plays the, the, well, I'm a normal person. And so this is a normal person's reaction to what's going on. Mm. You know, I have these concerns. You guys need to address them. And it's sort of, he's sort of really more of the window into this crime triads view and letting us, answering questions for us. He's like, well, why don't you do this? Well, because you don't know what's going on. And so <laughs> blah, 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 or, or whatever it is. He he's represents the, he's our, the banking He's almost sector. our agent. <laughs> What I said, he represents the banking sector. Well, he, he does that as well, but yeah. he also represents us. He's our agent within that group yes. to to sort of get them to spill their beans. Yeah, yeah. And uh, poor dead Wesley, <laughs> one of the best characters. <sighs> all right, so we've we've gone at length over all the characters. So perhaps now we should talk a little bit about uh, about the whole plot. And the, basically, the plot is is that Hell's Kitchen is. Uh, being leveraged out uh, in very violent ways so that the hand can get a specific part of of Hell's Kitchen because we don't know why. Mm. Uh, Madame Gao is pushing all kinds of drugs. The Russians are doing drug dr- distribution. And they... And M- Wilson Fisk doesn't want anyone to know his name. Don't say his name! Mm. Which ends up to one of the... D- Leads up to one of the stupidest deaths in the entire, in the entire series, <laughs> and and that Daredevil is seeing this spike in crime, and in one hand, the Murdoch or Nelson and Murdoch are trying to defend people from being illegally pushed out of their houses on the law front. Daredevil is fighting the crime that is being used as an excuse to push people out of the area, mm. and that. Uh, and that's it, really. I think that's the basis for the entire series. Yeah, pretty much. It, it all builds up. You know, Wilson Fisk. Ultimately, his Wilson Fisk is trying to play the other the other um, criminal leaders um, off against each other and to try and really take over Hell's Kitchen and to rebuild it. 
Um, and, and that sort of seems like it's a he has the people he he's planning on working with. And then they screw up and it's like, OK, fine, I can't trust you to do this yourself. I'm going to do it myself. Yep. But it is kind of strange that you see such disparate elements all sort of working together in criminal enterprises that, that I don't think you'd normally see getting along so well. Yeah, which it, speaks a lot to Fisk's character. Yeah, and and I think you know it's that it's that you know that that that's what the plot is all centered around, isn't it? I mean, in terms of Fisk's aspirations for Hell's Kitchen um, and what that means for the actual residents of Hell's Kitchen, you know, he he just wants to basically sweep everything off the map and then start again. Um, uh, He's going to flip the table. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that's right. <laughs> and um, you know, and, and I guess he's trying to use the other the other criminal elements to sort of further his goal. Um, and and Matt gets or Daredevil gets drawn into all of that. That becomes apparent over the course of the season as as plot points and so forth are revealed through his interactions with this gang or with this gang and names get dropped and and um, and plot points are dropped and so forth uh, up until that you know that final confrontation where the person responsible for all of this destruction and all of this mayhem is the person that was you know uh, on the on the on the front page of the newspapers saying that you know I want to make hell's kitchen you know the you know rebuild it and make it a better place all that, all that sort of stuff but you're right we I think we've covered the plot though that that, that that's essentially it yeah um, the the fights though and, and I guess it's a good time to talk about the physicality of the show yeah it's very very visceral one of the things with Jessica Jones was she has superpowers and there are only a few scenes where the physicality of those powers are sort of highlighted instead of used as background. And in this case, uh, the physicality is, is front is up front and center. It's the big deal, right? It's it, Matt Murdock is beat up and he, I mean, sure he has a, a slightly advanced healing factor, but, but not enough that, you know, he can completely shrug things off in a werewolf or um, in a, in a Wolverine sort of fashion. Yeah. Uh, but the fight scenes change so much from the beginning. Cause you can tell when the showrunner or the guy who's sort of choreographing the fights changes that you have this beautiful hallway scene, which is sort of an homage to the raid where it's all one shot or at least it all feels like one shot where he's going in to rescue this kid and he's beating people up and you can feel him being worn out and he keeps getting knocked down and he gets back up again and get knocked down. I get, well, that's a different song. Um, but that, that really could be his theme song. It could. I think it'd be a good theme song for him because it suits him to the ground. Which is when they, they do the flashback to his dad who would get beat up in fights and bring home money, you know, to help raise his kid by being beat up in fights and even taking a dive. Mm. And that you see over and over again, this, this fight, but, and then, then later in the fights, you have much more of just a brutal fight. And sometimes he's got martial arts moves and other times he's a boxer and sometimes he really uses the walls around him and he uses the area to do cool maneuvers and stuff. And I think it speaks to his noviceness at the, in the earlier season that he doesn't always think to do it. It's only when he's set up and he's ready and the bad guys aren't that he does that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that, that he would, does it 
that that opening, you know, in season in in episode, I think it's episode one, that hallway scene that you're referring to. You know, no, he, that's just, like episode two or three. Is but it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's just a pugilist. You know, he's just going in there with um, with his fists, and it, it is a brutal. Um, you know, fight scene. Um, you know, he's just a boxer going in there. He just gets the absolute hell beaten out of him, um, but keeps getting back up. Yeah. Um, and then, so, all right. One of the fight scenes is it's a guy that he, as Matt Murdock, has gotten off of, off, so that he's no longer in prison or no longer, you know. He's he's arrested for a murder. This and it, one of the characters, I want to say NPC, mm. <laughs> one of the villains' characters is arrested. They get hired by Wilson Fisk's agent Wesley to to get him off uh, of, for this murder charge. They get him off from the murder charge, and then Daredevil goes after him because Matt knows he's guilty, even though he has just helped get him out of jail. Mm. All right, and then there's a fight that happens. Daredevil gets the guy to name Wilson Fisk as the as the big bad, and then the guy goes over to a spike of metal and slams his head down on it, piercing his skull and out the back, and he dies. Yeah. Where he could have thrown himself in front of a car, if he really felt that this was the bad way to do it, he could have gone home and drunk himself to death, but I don't believe that a guy who just gave up just gave up the bad guy so easily it felt like mm. would then immediately kill himself in in such a gratuitous unlikely fashion yeah i know what you're saying i think in, in terms of plot though the idea is to have that gratuitous violence that is stunning to to matt to have that happen to him in front of him it it just felt fake yeah. is what i'm saying yeah no i but, completely I mean, agree I understand. with what you're saying yeah it felt control. It felt like it was a plot point. It did. Yeah. Um, there was a really neat thing where uh, Fisk and Wesley set up uh, the Russians to hate Daredevil and to, to go after him even faster because uh, one of the Russians upset a date between Fisk and Vanessa. <laughs> and so. Yeah, I so. really see that, and that's I, I really like Fisk's character. Yeah. And so he killed the guy by slamming his head door head in a car door until there was no more head, and then they said that the daredevil uh, had done it. The yeah. daredevil was the one who decapitated him, and so instead of making it seem like it was Fisk, blah blah blah, um, they made it seem like the daredevil. And that and then, that that scene though, where Fisk kills that guy, is, is also it's not. You don't see it. It's not like um, you know Spartan uh, three hundred or, um, or or some of the scenes in Game of Thrones where it's really you, you see everything that's happening. It's very gruesome. You don't you, you see Fisk's action. You don't see the consequence of that action. You don't see the guy's head being smashed open. You see the brutality of Fisk's motions and actions. The car door getting slammed and so forth. The the actual imagery of that of of what actually is happening is very subdued, but it's very, very brutal, like that scene. Yeah, I wouldn't say subdued. <laughs> no, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> but, but it is I, very I guess obscured. We, it is obscured. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it's one of those It's one of those cut away from the, the actual moment of killing things. I wonder if our cut's different than yours, because while you don't, you don't see his head, you know, necessarily in the door being slammed, you do see the blood dripping down and pouring from... 
Yeah, but that's a, that's an after shot, isn't it? It's not. I mean, when when it's been, you, you know, I don't you, know. you can imagine that in in a in a series that is much more visually gratuitous, like Game of Thrones, that you would see the actual violence, you'd see the 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 skull splitting, all of those sort of things, where really the, that scene is all about Fisk's motions and his his absolute violent rage. Yes. Yeah, I mean that's it. Pretty much does it encapsulates his rage. Yeah. And, and I think you get a neat cut scene around that as well yeah. with, with some background. But it, it's, uh, that, and that there is, is juxtaposed with, Fix, with Fisk's, um, you know, it gets, it gets himself breakfast in the morning. The classical music is playing, he's breaking his eggs. It's this beautifully clean, very modern, very minimalist sort of kitchen. You know, he's picking out, you know, it's, that that's the juxtaposition that, that I really liked about that Fisk character. I, I think you missed the message, though. Mm-hmm. And and I should have should have mentioned this earlier when you mentioned the omelet. You can't make an omelet without breaking without yeah. breaking a few. Eggs. <laughs> that is basically Fisk's internal mantra. I think going you know for the entire the entire series. Yeah, it's I like know. No bad things are going to happen. I, I know what you're saying. I I hadn't actually thought of it like that. That's that's quite amusing. That's good. But I mean the 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 stated calmness of those sequences. That visually the music the as a viewer, the way you experience that that opening scene of Fisk's morning as he wakes up, mm-hmm. you juxtapose that with the way you experience as a viewer that that violent act of him killing that person. There's a couple of other sequences that are like that with Fisk as well through the series. There's a real um, yeah, there's that real juxtaposition of his two characters. This very calm, right. very collected, but underneath this sort of seething monster. And and you wonder if that 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 symbolism of you know breaking a few you know break eggs to get your omelet if that is sort of also a reflection of the art with which he has pulled together these disparate elements these other criminal elements that he's managed to get so much done before it appears on Matt Murdock's or Daredevil's radar and and that sort of that that the symbolism of that scene mm. is you know sort of. Like you say, it's part of his character, but it, it also speaks once again to the deeper issues that, and the deeper way he's done business and how he's become successful and, and all that. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree, hmm. yeah. Oh, which reminds me, we're talking about uh, Kingpin. He's got his special magical suit. It's not magical, but he's got a special bulletproof, knife-proof suit. And, and we do meet the character who made that, and he's the guy who makes Daredevil's armor. Mm. And in the comic books, he becomes Buzzsaw, I think, where he actually has Buzzsaw blades on his arms. And it'll be interesting to see if they ever make him an actual superhero or or not, or supervillain. I don't know whether he's a villain or a hero, but well, I could imagine you could imagine if something happened. You know, Daredevil has that relationship with him built around. I will protect you. I will protect your wife. Don't worry, or your family, or whatever it is. Um, if something happened to his family and Daredevil couldn't protect him, you can imagine how that might blow up. Yeah, he could be either good or bad. Yeah, it's I mean, really right sort of picking that one. Since he's not, he's not emotionally mature. <laughs> no. Um, and you know, Daredevil basically beats him up when they first meet, and then and then he sort of gets drafted onto Daredevil's side. Like, well, I can protect you from Fisk. Well, maybe you can't. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. So, hmm. uh, much things go on. Many things happen. 
a lot of it, some of it's only really relevant for season two. So we might talk back to them is, but is there anything else we really want to talk about, about daredevil season one? Um, not so much. I think, you know, progression wise, you know, we talked about Jessica Jones last time that the, I think progression wise is a very different series. This is almost like your, um, you know, your, your leveled game. You know, you go up each level, you find out a little bit more, you go up another level, you find out a little bit more, the boss is a little bit harder. Um, that's the way this 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 series sort of unfolds, but it's necessary because of the nature of Daredevil. You know, that's the style of character he is. He's the pugilist. He'll he'll deal with one punch at a time, one fight at a time, and go on to the next one. So I, right. I, it, it's a very different pacing to Jessica Jones, but it's still got a lot of those very dark elements to it. The the setting is very dark. There's still a lot of um, there's still a lot of that that borderline, uh, and it's something that's explored a lot in series two, between what is a hero, what is an anti-hero, what is a what is a villain, and I, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, yeah, really enjoyed Daredevil. And it does sort of feel like the mapping of Netflix, which is this is the first first of our our stuff. So all of Daredevil season one, it's an origin story for. Wilson Fisk a la Kingpin mm. and for Matt Murdock Daredevil. So even though no one episode is an origin story, you've got 13 episodes which sort of build into the aha final episode. I now have my mask and my my outfit and all that. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. I think the And the, and, and then on and then on Kingpin's side you have the I have now been arrested and now I'm having to be I'm a villain. He's had the fall from grace. So go ahead. You were saying something. No, no, no. I completely agree with what you're saying. I agree. The the entire first series is a setup for those characters. It is the it is the origin story for Daredevil. It is the origin story for Wilson Fisk, um, and and there are there are there are origin stories that are still being explored. I think, um, you know, I think we see in series two some of the origin stories for some of the other characters. Um, really, um, and some of the, the, the that is still being explored. So yeah, I, I've really enjoyed them. I've really enjoyed them. Well, and maybe we should have done this one first, since we were talking origin stories the whole time. Um, <laughs> all right, so let us know uh, what it is that we've missed out about Daredevil season one, and uh, do you want to hear us talk about Daredevil season two, which hopefully we'll do here in a month. After I've got a chance to watch them through a second time. Awesome. Um, I'm Donald Dennis. I'm Giles Pritchard. And you've been listening to the Inverse Genius Binge It Now. <laughs> Do it. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.